Good morning. Welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg and I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, we, we're delighted that you've joined us and I do hope that this morning's talk will be a blessing and an encouragement to you even as you continue in fellowship with a local church. Now we're currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark which is the eyewitness testimony of the Apostle Peter to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It is the shortest of the four Gospels and unlike the biographies that you and I might read today Mark has arranged his material thematically rather than chronologically in order to answer two important questions. So in the first half of his book Mark is answering the question who is Jesus and in the second half he's answering the question why did he come and Mark's purpose in doing this is so that his readers that is to say you and me should know how to respond. Now if today's talk leaves you with questions we'd love to help you with that can I invite you to visit our website www.sbbc.org.za and on the home page you'll find a contact tab and you can leave your contact information there and uh, someone on the team will get back to you in the course of the week. Well now as we begin, uh, please do open your Bible at Mark chapter 2 and I'm going to be reading from verse 23 uh, through to chapter 3 and verse 6. Mark 2, 23 to 3, 6. Uh, one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, let's pray and uh, ask for the Lord's help to understand his precious word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word which points us to your Son, the Lord Jesus. For it is in him that we find strength for the weak, compassion for the needy, and hope for the hurting. Please draw near to us by your Spirit, through your word, that we may see Jesus for who he really is and find the help that we need. And we ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Now this morning we're looking at something very special 
uh, it's one of the great surprises I think in the Gospels because it is such a powerful challenge to the idea that many people have about Jesus today. Having said that, it's not an especially easy passage. Uh, Sabbaths and synagogues are not immediately our situation. So if you're going to see the treasure here, you're going to have to commit yourself and work with me. So don't be like the police cadet writing his final exam. Uh, One of the questions said, you come across an accident, there are smashed cars, there are injured people, there's a fire hydrant nearby that has burst, people are looting a nearby shop, someone has snatched a lady's handbag, a large dog has attacked a small boy, and on the 15th floor of a nearby building, fire has broken out. What is your first action? And uh, the police cadet wrote, remove uniform and mingle with the crowd. Well, we're not going to be like that police cadet. We're going to do the opposite. We're going to give ourselves to the situation in front of us, which is these two very wonderful paragraphs in Mark 2:23 through to chapter 3, verse 6. Now, if you're with us for the first time, you need to know that in the first two chapters of Mark's Gospel, we've been looking at Jesus announcing himself as the king. And if you're wondering where the kingdom is, please don't think that it's somewhere up there in the sky. Because Mark has been showing us that wherever Jesus is, he starts to take control. So he takes control of a man who's demon-possessed. He takes control of people who are sick. He takes control of a tax collector who's going nowhere. In other words, the kingdom is wherever Jesus is. And he also brings great happiness, great relief, perfect forgiveness, meaningful fellowship. Just a few of the wonderful qualities of life in the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is. And it's with those who've surrendered to his kingship. Now because all of us are natural unbelievers, and we are, and because we're natural doubters, and because the world is very messy and very difficult, we struggle, I think, with the idea that Jesus is a good king. We struggle with the idea that he controls everything. We struggle with the idea that Jesus wants what is best for us and that we can trust him for everything. Now that problem is not his problem. That problem is our problem. But help is at hand because if we apply our minds to the text, these two little paragraphs will help us to understand Jesus properly. I'm going to call the first paragraph from verse 23 to 28, the king of love. And uh, the second paragraph from chapter 3 verse 1 to verse 6, I'm going to call the king of life the king of love and the king of life. So firstly then, the king of love. Now the first incident here records a time when Jesus was travelling on a Saturday, that's the Sabbath. The disciples are with him and they're picking grain to eat from the fields as they travel. And they're being criticised by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for breaking the Sabbath rules. Now, the law in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 23, said you you could actually take food from the fields, but you had to do it with your hands. You couldn't bring in your sickle or your plough. 
Uh, I suppose today that would mean you couldn't drive your combine harvester into your neighbour's field and harvest his crop for yourself. It was only as much as you could gather in your hands for your own consumption. But the problem here is that it's being done on the Sabbath. Now the Pharisees had invented lots of rules about the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus wasn't particularly interested in those rules. But it was still the Sabbath. And the big question in the story is, are the disciples working? And that opens up, I think, a huge issue, which is what sort of world has God put us in? What is his priority? Has he put us in the world because he is primarily for people, uh, that he wants the very best for us? Or has he put us in the world to keep a set of rules? Uh, last year we had visitors staying from overseas and on one particular Sunday we drove over the mountain to take them out for lunch. And uh, on the way back uh, there were some roadworks at a stop sign. The, the roadworks made it rather difficult to see the road ahead and so I approached the stop sign slowly but because of the roadworks I inched forward to get a better view. And seeing there were no cars coming we continued on our journey and I thought no more about it. But a few days later, uh, I received a traffic violation notice with a pretty big fine because it turned out that there was a hidden camera at the stop sign and I'd actually stopped the front wheels of the car a few inches over the white line. So yes, I'd broken the rule. Yes, I had. But I got to thinking, what kind of traffic department gets excited about placing a hidden camera in a situation like that where they can trap people who are no threat whatsoever to anyone else. Now don't you think that some people consider God to be like that? That his purpose is to pounce on people. Uh, that he's got a rule somewhere uh, that's about sex and he's got a rule somewhere else that is about the Sabbath. The rules are very frustrating and whenever you cross the line, God jumps on you. Well, in this paragraph, we're told that's what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, you can see that in verses 23 and 24. The background is that they had 39 rules about the Sabbath in their little book. And there they are in the fields. I've no idea why they were in the fields, but there they are, ready to pounce. And you'll notice what uh, Jesus says in response in verse 25. And can I say that this will, this will, I think, shock you? Because Jesus is about to take what's going to look like a bad example and use it to teach the truth about God and the purpose of God's law. And if you're going to stay with me, and I hope you will, this will straighten out your views about God. Because Jesus says, Have you not read what David did? Now David, of course, was the greatest of the kings in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, Have you not read what David did when he went into the tabernacle, which was Israel's place of worship before the temple was built, and David and his men ate the holy bread? So here's King David. Uh, he's on the run, run from King Saul. He's travelling with his men and they're hungry. And he walks into the tabernacle where there are twelve loaves of bread for the priests. And David and his men eat the bread. And they eat it 
with the blessing of the priest. Now the great question is, why on earth would Jesus raise this as an example? Uh, Incidentally, you'll notice that Jesus says to the Pharisees, have you not read this? And that, of course, would be a deeply provocative statement because the Pharisees spent lots of time reading their Bibles and David was one of their heroes. But this is what Jesus is saying here and I want you to listen to this very carefully indeed. Jesus is saying, I want to tell you about a great king. He's travelling with his men. He's beginning to experience a great deal of opposition. And because he cares for his men and they're hungry, his top priority is that they would live. Therefore, the law about the loaves is set aside and it is set aside for the life of the king's men. So David makes the decision to do this and Jesus commends him for having the priority uh, to put the life and welfare of his men right at the top of his agenda. You see, Jesus is not saying that God's laws are a waste of time. No, the laws about the bread were for the welfare of the priests. And Jesus is not saying, uh, I want you to learn from David that people are more important than rules. No, God's laws are always for people's welfare. And that's why whenever you read the Old Testament, you are reading uh, the will of a very good, a very gracious, merciful, compassionate, wise, life-wanting, life-giving God. And if you find anything in God's laws that don't reflect that picture of God's character and that attitude of God towards men, well, please, will you tell me about it? Because I don't believe it's there. Otherwise, you see, what you're going to do is you're going to sit in authority over the Old Testament and you're going to say to yourself, well, I don't like that, I don't like that, that looks silly, and you're going to end up totally confused. Let me give you one example of what I mean from the law in Deuteronomy 5 concerning the Sabbath. The commandment says, stop your work on the Sabbath. Uh, That applies to your children, uh, your servants, your animals and any visitors. Give everybody a break. Uh, Don't grind your people into the ground. Now you see, the Pharisees and the church including, may I say, the 21st century church, has often taken this and interpreted it as God wants to punish you with boredom. Whereas God's word in the Bible is saying, I want to bless you with rest. And if we've done a better job of communicating this in recent years, we might have more men in the church today taking Jesus seriously. I don't know why this is, but somehow the church has been heard to say, especially to men, uh, please come because Christianity is just about as exciting as a funeral and one day you're going to end up in an everlasting church service. Whereas, what Jesus actually says is, come with me. Uh, Yes, we're going into a battle. Yes, it's not going to be easy. So one day in seven you do need to rest and renew your strength. 
but eventually I'm going to take you home with me and it's going to be wonderful and you see the church I think often seems to have missed that fundamental point now all of God's laws are in that same spirit and therefore you have to learn to interpret the Old Testament with a great and loving God in the background he is not like the traffic cops he's not thinking uh, how can I catch people on Sunday afternoon when when they're on a quiet road and they're not putting anybody's lives in danger but here you see with typical genius chapter 2 verse 25 Jesus points to the greatest king in the Old Testament and he says he acted for the welfare of his people because the law about the loaves of bread was all about feeding people and he used the law for that purpose and uh, can I say you might imagine that Jesus could have gone on to say I wonder if you can see the point think about it king of kings in the world travelling with his men experiencing growing opposition wanting the welfare of people so I'm not here says Jesus like a Pharisee and therefore you can see when he gets to verse 27 he says that the Sabbath was not invented as a dumb rule to trap people no it was provided as a gift to liberate people and then as the climax of the argument Jesus says I am the Lord of the Sabbath now when you and I hear the word Lord uh, we perhaps think control and when we hear the word blessing uh, we might think escape uh, I can please myself but Jesus is saying no no you've got that upside down because it's only when you come under my lordship that you experience the blessing and just as David exercised loving authority for the good of his men Jesus says I the son of man the king of kings exercise loving authority for the good of all people and that's what Jesus is saying when he says I am the Lord of the Sabbath so do you remember back in Genesis where the first Sabbath comes at the end of creation uh, and the letter to the Hebrews says that uh, that is the everlasting rest that God is planning for his people well says Jesus I invented that and uh, do you remember the Saturday by Saturday break that God wanted you to have the rest, the holiday, the day off well I invented that as well so friends have you got it clear that behind the universe there isn't a divine traffic cop moving through the world uh, looking at people who are happy grabbing them and locking them up no behind the universe is the king of love providing life and what people need in order to live forever and the greatest proof of that is that God would look at the world and say do these people have life no they don't uh, can I do something about that yes uh, will it cost a lot yes will it cost everything yes 
Will it cost the life of my son? Yes, it will. Okay, let's do it. That's the king of love. Now, of course, yes, Jesus does call us to costly discipleship. But can you see that love is driving the whole plan? And that brings us to the second little paragraph in our reading this morning, which I've called the King of Life, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now here the scene changes. Uh, Here we're not outdoors in the field. Jesus is indoors in a synagogue. Again, it's a Saturday, a Sabbath. And there's a man there with a shriveled hand. Now that's telling us that this is a setup. Because you weren't meant to go into the temple or the synagogue if you were maimed. Once again, the Pharisees are there watching, ready to pounce. They know that Jesus can heal this man. The question is, will he do it on the Sabbath? Remember that the law said, don't work on the Sabbath. And Jesus knows, of course, that's meant to be a blessing. But to the Pharisees, it means keep the rules. That's what counts. So what does Jesus do? Verse 3. He gets the man to stand up, uh, which of course is not against the rules. And then in verse 4, Jesus asks the Pharisees some potent and penetrating questions. First, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Uh, What should we do to help this man? Now the Old Testament law said that you could help a brother or sister on the Sabbath. But if that was going to involve a lot of work and if it could wait for another day because the situation wasn't life-threatening, well, you should leave it. But you see, Jesus is keen to bless this man and he wants to get on with it. So he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? The second question that Jesus asks is more disturbing because Jesus here has got the Pharisees firmly in his sights and he asks which is lawful on the Sabbath to save life or to kill now at this point I don't think that Jesus is talking about the man with the withered hand rather I think what Jesus is saying here is what are you going to do with me we've asked a question about this man will we do good or not and now I've got another question What are you going to do with me? Are you going to save or kill? Silence in verse 4 is very revealing. So Jesus asks the man to hold out his hand and as he holds out his hand he's healed. And I love this because it's God, isn't it, who does things simply by speaking. And how can anybody criticise Jesus just for speaking on the Sabbath? The Pharisees ought to be rejoicing. So what can we learn uh, from this episode? Let me mention two things. First, don't separate Jesus' authority and his kindness. Why is he able to heal this man? Because he has great authority and great kindness. The authority gives him the ability to heal. The kindness gives him the desire to do it. So his authority and his kindness go together. We can't separate them. We might think, even perhaps as a believer, I like the kindness, I don't like the authority. 
But you see, it's the authority that provides the kindness. And the kindness backs up and motivates the authority. So thank God they can't be separated. I mean, what good would it be if Jesus was authoritative but not kind? What good would it be if he was kind but not authoritative? We're so thankful that these two things go together. So when Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, the Lord of blessing, we need to surrender to Jesus as Lord in order to get the blessing. Now that's the key, hold on to that. You see, there are so many people, uh, even in churches, who say, yep, I believe in God, but they've never actually surrendered to Jesus. And that's hopeless. Let me give you an illustration to make the point. Imagine a person travelling through the desert. They've got an empty water bottle in their hand and they come to a well which is absolutely full of beautiful, cool, clear water. So they take their water bottle and they just place the base of the water bottle on the surface of the water. So you might say the water bottle is touching the water. Then they push the water bottle down a bit so that it's halfway down. And uh, you might say it's now involved in the water. They then push the bottle three quarters of the way down so that only the neck is sticking out. So it's now completely surrounded by water. But at this point, nothing has changed. There's no water in the bottle. And it's only when he plunges the bottle under the surface of the water that the water flows in and the bottle is filled. And in exactly the same way, if a person never surrenders completely to Christ, they never get converted, they never get reborn. And there are plenty of people in churches who are just like that, nominal believers. Like the water bottle, they're in touch with Christian things. They might be involved in Christian things, but there's never been a surrender. There's never been a transformation. There's never been a filling. And therefore, there's never been a conversion. So that's the first thing to notice. The second thing is, did you notice that there are two different campaigns going on at the same time in these two paragraphs? One is the campaign of God to bring life and love to people. And the other is the campaign of men to bring death to Jesus. And these two campaigns are diametrically opposed. You might be surprised when you read chapter 3 verse 6 that these people went out and began to plot how to kill Jesus. I do think that's meant to shock us. But you see, when you become a Christian you will realise as you go on in the Christian life that the, his, the, the hostility to Jesus in the world is very strong indeed. It's very determined, it can be very fiery and people use every possible strategy to avoid Jesus. In fact we could say people use every possible strategy to get rid of Jesus and we see that most clearly of course at the cross. But in our world, we can do it today in more sophisticated ways. 
That's why it's so much easier, isn't it, for churches to do something that's essentially unrelated to Jesus. Uh, Perhaps to focus our energies on counselling or social action or education programmes of various kinds. But friends, important as those things may be, it's only by presenting the authority and kindness of Jesus that people come to have eternal life. Also, um, as we go on in the Christian life, we discover, don't we, that the seeds of this opposition to Jesus are in our own hearts as well. We begin to know ourselves better. We find out what we're really like. And we begin to be more humble about ourselves because we see the seeds of hostility against Jesus are still there in our own hearts. And therefore we become more and more grateful for Jesus. But you see it's interesting because it's in the face of this hostility that the living God goes out to seek the welfare of people. He's provided us with so many blessings they can't be counted. But uh, he gets no thanks, he gets no credit, he gets no acknowledgement. Jesus, the Son of Man, has come into the world to do good and to save. And the reaction of the human race is to do evil and to kill. But Jesus goes on with his task and he provides salvation for people like us, people who frankly don't deserve it. He's utterly misrepresented by the world. But friends, you and I have just one hope in the universe and it isn't us. We're ungrateful. Deep in our hearts, we're hostile. Our only hope is the King of love and the King of life, Jesus Christ. And he runs the world. Now, I wonder if you've uh, ever found yourself driving through town and you've seen a demolition site where there's nothing but barbed wire and fence, a few bricks, uh, rubbish all over the place. And as you drive past, you think to yourself, that is the most awful mess. But stuck on the fence, uh, there's a little sign, and it says something like, um, King and Co. Master Builders. And you think to yourself, you know what, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't do the demolition work, and if they aren't also about to construct something new and very special. And in exactly the same way, as we look at the mess of the world that we're in and the mess in our own lifestyle, we have to say to ourselves, yes, it's true, this world is a very messy place and our own lives are very messy. But God has stuck up on the fence the words, the king of love, the king of life. And uh, we see that here in these two little paragraphs in Mark's book. And these paragraphs are saying to us, be patient. Because Jesus is in the process of turning everything which is a mess into something wonderful. So keep trusting him. Keep obeying him. Keep representing him in a world that doesn't know and doesn't understand. Well, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for revealing to us things we would not understand without your word. We thank you for telling us about yourself, 
full of love, full of life, eager to give love and life to others. We thank you for the reminder of the coming of your Son, full of love, full of life, to make it possible for us to enjoy eternal life. We pray that you would help us to trust you with joy and to obey you with discipline and to represent you well in a world that has such poor understanding. Help us, Lord, to be your servants, your lights, your witnesses in this coming week, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.